most important learning is happening while you're doing and while you are aspiring to grow then you are responsible for your career the more you build human skills more you get better at doing things that ai can't this is the ctq smartcast where we have conversations about up leveling deliberate practice and getting future relevant Hi, uh, I'm I'm Harish, and uh, today I'll be speaking to Shrini Addepalli, who is the co-founder and CEO of Global Gyan Academy of Management Education. Global Gyan helps professionals build the mindsets and skills of next-gen leadership. So, welcome, Shrini. Thanks, thanks, Harish. Great to be here. Yeah. So, first off, I'm going to you know start off with a slightly uh, easy one. So, you worked with the Tatas in various uh, strategy roles for eight to ten years. what made you jump into the learning space well uh, actually it was more than 10 years almost 15 years of corporate life and then uh, then i didn't really jump into the learning space i uh, i jumped out of the corporate space uh, i knew i wanted to do something in teaching uh, i wanted to be a professor uh, in reality i mean there was a uh, childhood Uh, somewhere dream that i wanted to be a professor uh, so i thought i will get into some form of academics or teaching but then as i uh, explored the space i i loved teaching i used to teach even when i was working in the corporate world uh, but then i kind of spent some time looking at what was happening and i realized that i wanted to not teach in the in the colleges and uh, you know the in the traditional academic world but work more with uh, professionals and with adults and obviously with corporates who employ them to to help build their capabilities so i i kind of did a bit of a shift from what i planned when i quit and yeah the i i quit because i just wanted to do something different so it was not that i was uh, now usually a lot of people quit their jobs or get out of the corporate world uh, either uh, because they're pissed off either because uh, you know they are unhappy with their jobs and want to get out of uh, you know being employed uh, or um, they want to make lots of money and hope that uh, entrepreneurship will uh, will help them make lots of money for me i think it was just uh, i knew i wanted to do something in in education uh, and uh, and and the way i was in my job even though i got opportunities to dabble with it i couldn't really do much and the only way to uh, to do something was to get out and that's why i just without any plan i really just said let me quit first and then i'll figure out what to do right right so uh, you know like like people say and you know, richard feynman's uh, learning the best way of learning something is to teach it so how true is that uh, you know in, in your experience and i i think there can't be a, a truer uh, statement and uh, even i don't know when richard feynman said it but i uh, remember uh, no a shloka that i learned in um, in sanskrit in school days about how uh, wealth uh, education is the the, the most uh, the best wealth because it grows when you give it uh, you now when you teach others and when you distribute uh, knowledge it actually grows for you so I, that that was a almost like one sentence that i read perhaps in my fifth standard but it has stayed with me all all throughout and my experience has been that and i tell many of my uh, you know participants of the learning programs that whether you learned something or not i will surely learn something from the from the program and that has been true 
because uh, each time when I engage with a with a new audience, with a different set of people, just through the questions that they ask, and even if sometimes they don't ask, I imagine that they may have those questions uh, because of who they are, uh, and I try to to look for those answers. and And there are times when I don't have the answers, uh, and, and in fact, those are the best times uh, because it actually provokes me to go look for the answers or to find the answers. I used to find that a lot. Now, while I, uh, now, uh, while I moved to the adults and the employee professional uh, learning space, but I used to uh, experience it the most when I was in fact teaching in colleges. Uh, I used to find that uh, a lot of the students in colleges were somewhat disrespectful and therefore asked questions. Uh, which which was great because that uh, that caused me to to look up. I think a lot of adults become too respectful of authority figures and stop asking questions of those who are teaching them, and I that stops learning for both. Right, right, yeah. So that that brings me to the next uh, you know question that I had. So what is the role of learning in large corporates? We often hear about you know companies talking about I you know we want to be this continuous learning machine. Uh, but are there avenues for learning and uh, teaching both organized informal ways what what's your comment on that especially large corporates yeah See, i think there's a uh, this, the need for it is is huge okay? because uh, in reality learning is happening that your most important learning is happening while you're doing and while you are aspiring to grow therefore uh, you can't ever have completed your education. You can complete your degrees and so on you know, by the age of 22 or 25 and start your career. But learning actually starts then. Because whatever you did till then was maybe getting some facts, uh, getting, getting certified for what you know. But most of it is not application oriented. The real learning happens when you're in a job. While the need is there, I don't necessarily think uh, that people devote enough time and attention and resources to it. I'm not talking about the individuals. I think organizations realize it, leaders realize it, and therefore they want to invest in it. They would like their uh, their managers to to invest in learning, both formal and informal, and and more informal because formal has certain limitations. You can only do you know so many hours of learning through a through our program, but there's a lot of informal daily learning that one that one can do. But I don't, I haven't seen too many individuals take that very seriously. And I think that's a little bit of a, I would say, a, a disappointment or uh, or a view that that it it hasn't been been highlighted enough as as a huge problem that people still believe that if I perform well. In my current job, if I am a salesperson, if I achieve my quota, or if I am a project manager, if I deliver my projects on time, that's enough. That's great, and I will get ahead in my career as a result of it. What they're failing to realize is kind of just the situation that we have seen in the last six months. Uh, that nobody could predict what what was going to happen. Uh, no amount of past performance can guarantee your job going ahead or that you will be able to perform the same level of, of work now because the environment has completely changed. And sometimes I believe that, uh, that you know, we haven't, uh, many people haven't 
faced adversity uh, enough in their careers uh, in a way uh, and therefore they don't realize the the, the gap that they are that they are building right right so uh, you know what in your opinion are uh, say areas that are the most underserved or neglected when it comes to learning in indian large corporates let's uh, restrict it there i'll start with what uh, what is probably the one of the, the most evident uh, gap it's for me the the last step of the of the learning value chain but it's also so very important uh, because it is what is uh, what is observed the first uh, when when you look at a person and their and their capability uh, and also often neglected and i think that is communication the ability to engage and i'm not talking about just speaking grammatically correct sentences and and speaking the language which also is often a a, a gap uh, but i'm talking about are you able to to express your your knowledge your thoughts your opinions in a way that the the audience whoever that might be internal or external are they able to to engage with you are they getting influenced by you if that was what you wanted uh, are you able to even share information in a in a simple way so that what you wanted to share is exactly what the other person is able to uh, to read uh, I, i think there's huge gaps there and and that causes many of the other problems so you may be capable uh, but you don't get stuff done because you are just unable to communicate and the communication gap also leads to therefore certain collaboration gaps uh, you know other things about managing people uh, leadership because ultimately leadership happens uh, through expression you you have to engage with people to exhibit your leadership so so a lot of what i see as weakness in leadership often uh, gets uh, experienced through poor communication so that's one area where i i spend a lot of my time trying to teach it's not something that i uh, have some huge functional expertise in but i believe that that every leader has to be an expert in communication uh, and that's something that i i spend a lot of time teaching Uh, and and helping people on the the second area where i see gaps um, and particularly i'm talking about uh, you know more traditional enterprises uh, but i would say even in the technology or some of the newer age companies this issue exists apart from maybe the leaders or the founders but um, is is just the uh, appreciation of uh, technology not in the sense of being a techie uh, of being able to write the tech or do coding or whatever uh, unfortunately that's the the wrong thing is being uh, pushed to people uh, getting 6 year olds to start writing code which is not what actually they need to because uh, if you think about the entire population of people the percentage of people who who write code is not huge it is it is important but it's not it's not the majority of people majority of people are are users of technology majority of people are those who who could include technology in whatever they are doing or they are building to to make that better so appreciation of technology awareness first and then appreciation of uh, of technology i think is a is a big gap uh, and uh, many managers and leaders are years away from from uh, from even fully utilizing the potential of technology and which is 
the reason why sometimes they get disrupted by uh, by a startup or a challenger that just knows how to use technology better uh, to to do that job so that's the second thing the third uh, which uh, and i'm not going to talk about functional skills which each individual needs to build for their own career right uh, i think the third area where i see uh, gaps uh, is what we would call critical thinking or uh, or you know the ability to connect the dots now it may it may appear that this is a leadership level uh, capability and that everyone doesn't need to be a strategic thinker or a critical thinker but that's not the case uh, all of us even at the entry level you're if you're dealing with customers if you're dealing with something uh, you have to think and you have to act uh, you can't act without thinking uh, so so this ability to think and there i think the the reason why this thinking capability is not uh, not uh, so good is because of uh, of our tradition of education and and uh, and the way we do things is to stop asking questions and so you know we are taught to be within the the framework of a syllabus you know, if you are in sixth standard this is what you should learn in mathematics this year next year you will be taught the next level if you ask questions this year the teacher will tell you no that's next year syllabus why don't you wait you just focus on this year syllabus and all whether it's education or edtech they're all focused on uh, you know enabling this system that wants to just crack this year's level and go to the next level what it's doing is that it's it's making people stop questioning why and what beyond what they're being given they're just taking what is being given uh, at face value and just mugging it up or solving those problems but no one's questioning and then suddenly you reach a middle management level and the boss tells you think outside the box you now all your life you've been told stay in the box stay in the box don't don't look outside don't ask questions uh, and then suddenly they said you know be be creative and uh, as if suddenly you turn that switch on and you know now from now on you are a you are an innovative thinker and you are a creative guy it doesn't happen uh, so i think that's one that's a that's a huge problem that systemic in nature both in our uh, the way we grow up uh, way education but also the way most organizations also even corporate cultures are a bit like that now some junior person asks uh, you know why uh, boss will say you know why are you asking just do what you're told and then you know this guy will get promoted and then a few years later suddenly you're supposed to have all your bulbs turned on doesn't happen i think this is a this is a huge problem right yeah so yeah so so one thing that we are not uh, very shy of at uh, choose to think is to ask questions and you know that we are uh, very happy asking quiz questions so i'm going to ask three quiz questions through the course of this conversation shini <laughs> okay. and uh, uh, there's something at stake uh, so for every question that you get uh, right we're going to give you a, a voucher code for one of our ctq uh, compounds and uh, you can use that so i'll i'll send you the code later once i find out how many uh, questions you get right this, i know i this is like it's been years since i've gotten into this quizzing thing now you're going to put me under a lot of pressure okay <laughs> <laughs> okay so the first first question for today uh, so what does the american professor at yale uh, edward tuft blame the space shuttle columbia disaster in 2003 on so i don't know the answer i can only try and uh, uh, guess uh, the answer or just try and arrive at blame the columbia shuttle failure on 
to, and let me give you a hint. Uh, so okay. this is something that you just referred to uh, a minute or two ago. Okay. <laughs> um, but you didn't use the exact, uh, you know, word that I'm looking for here. Okay. okay. Um, communication signaling failure between the ground station and the uh, and the and the shuttle. Okay, not uh, so you're in the right space. He actually uh, referred to a specific uh, software tool. Okay, uh, no. so I, I I don't know. I can I mean I can take a few you know, here and there and guess, but uh, this is a tool that all of us have used. Oh, okay. PowerPoint. Yes, <laughs> it is. It is the Microsoft PowerPoint. So um, you know it. It uh, so the the reason for the disaster was uh, you know some foam that had got uh, um, you know that had seeped out of one of the cylinders, and mm. apparently in the uh, build up, uh, you know the engineers had actually made a presentation to NASA, and uh, if you look at the slides, it's got you know. A lot of text all over, and um, the engineers assumed that uh, you know the message was conveyed, and uh, NASA was just looking for you know one specific answer whether this is dangerous or not or something like that, and they didn't get that answer though. So they assumed that yeah everything is good, and they went ahead. So yeah, so death by PowerPoint can actually be death by PowerPoint uh -huh. is uh, the point that Edward Tuft uh, you know wanted to make there. So, you know, I, I wanted to, you know, bring uh, this question here, uh, you know, just as a segue to the next question as well, where, uh, you know, you spoke about how communication is so important and, you know, you're teaching people about making good presentations. While we hear about, you know, artificial intelligence taking away jobs, so what, what kind of challenges are people facing in the here and now? And what about future relevance? So how, how do you marry the two? How do you, you know, straddle the two? Uh, yeah. And how, how bad is this, uh, you know, this, this problem as well of, of communication? See, I think the problem with, with communication, the first big problem uh, with communication, uh, which is both in uh, normal conversations and also therefore it reflects on the slides and everything else, is that most of the time we want to to just express ourselves. Okay. Communication is seen as, I want to tell you how good I am. I want to tell you all the great work that I have done. Uh, you know, this, is, this is what I want to tell you. What you want to know, what your concerns are, that is less important to me than, than just telling you. And in a way, social media kind of thing where you keep broadcasting your ideas, your capabilities to others and people just keep liking you because you know, that's what you've signed up for. The people who like your post, so you feel very good. That expression is all that matters. The listening part is, is, le uh, is less important. So I think that's the biggest issue because most presentations don't care about the audience. They're not thinking, who is my audience? What would be relevant to them? Why should I why should I even say this? So that is, is, I think, the biggest problem. So you you look at a group meeting or a call happening. Everybody is speaking when they get the chance. No one's, in fact, listening and saying, you know, am I saying something in the context of what others are saying? We all want to make our points, mute ourselves after that, and then you know, wait till my next chance comes to speak.
rather than having a true conversation. I think the same thing happens in uh, in presentations. So there's a data or a uh, or a lot of information overload, like you talked about. Why? Because I am not focused on what is the outcome that I want of my communication. I am trying to show off how how much work I have done. And since I have this uh, somewhat of a constraint that I have placed in my mind that I shouldn't have too big a presentation, I'll say, okay, I want to make five slides. I'll dump as much content as I can in those five slides, okay? or whatever. The the thing is, is this necessary? Who is you know? What does the audience want to take? What decision do they want to take? What outcome do I want to influence as a result of this? So obfuscation, either by design, sometimes because I don't know the answer, I will I'll dump data, or because of ego, uh, this or this pride about our own work. I think that's the biggest problem, and and you can see this across. So what I try to teach people really is 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 not yes you can learn about all the you know the tools of making good slides the tools of speaking well and that's all yes necessary but the key thing is focusing on what do i want to achieve from my communication and being clear that the content that i provide others is relevant to the outcome that i want particularly in professional communication right? like if you're a nasa engineer you need to know what was the decision that the that the committee or who are the seniors who are looking at your presentation, what do they want to do with it? If you're clear about that, then you will focus your content and make sure that that decision is, is clearly made. That is the problem. And this is where, in fact, this can't be done by artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence or any form of machine learning, data tools can do all the analysis. But what analysis should I do? You can use all kinds of visualization techniques and you know, now you just put some data, you'll automatically, some engine will throw out some nice charts. The thing is, which chart do I, do I put there? You know, that is a human thing, you know, knowing my audience. Uh, the other thing that we talk about a lot is different individuals have different ways of being persuaded. You know, some are very logical in their mind. Some use uh, are persuaded more through emotion. Now, if I don't know that person well enough and I use the wrong communication content, I'll fail. Now, I don't think any, any at least an AI or anything that exists today can, can know the people who I'm speaking to, each of them. So I do believe there's a huge uh, human intelligence role in communication. And, uh, and that, as I said earlier, that's the expression of all our work. So you, you could be extremely intelligent, you could, uh, you could have all the capabilities, but if you fail at communication, yeah, everything fails because that's how you are perceived as, as who you are. Right, right. And, and uh, is there a, you know, so there are two different levels of problems that we're talking about. You know, one is communication, which is, uh, I guess, a very timeless uh, thing. But uh, because people are trying to fix a very fundamental, you know, issue, which should have been, which should ne have never been an issue in the first place. Yeah. Is there a danger of, uh, you know, not paying enough attention to something else, which is, you know, all this AI coming and taking away your jobs or automation, you know, making you redundant. Is there a danger of people not being, uh, you know, able to pay attention to that? 
or uh, you know also some people are so focused on that part uh, where they miss this fundamental thing so is there a challenge because i see this as a as two very different levels of uh, threats if you if you may yeah see the the thing is that more you build human skills more you get better at doing things that ai can't better is your defense against ai correct um, so let's go back to that other point about about asking questions and and uh, and connecting the dots more yes you know ai and all of these uh, technologies can can bring lots of data uh, together and and process them very quickly and come up with analysis but the the design of that the design of that ultimately has to come from humans now you can i'm sure at some point the technology will will reach those levels where they they mimic the 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 impulses and the intuition that that today humans have but how do you build intuition how do you bring that emotion into into decision making today the problem is that humans are not doing the human things they are trying to be like computers by treating management as a science by by treating management as uh, as an analytical capability by just doing data and taking decisions only analytically i think we are we are undermining ourselves as as you know human leaders human people and just yesterday or two days ago i was having a conversation about decision making and all the leaders and managers that i talked to they all use only logic to get to their decisions or gut which is really uh, a form of logic which is that i don't even want to do the analysis i will use my past experience to do it right so it's no, no there's no there's a logic short circuit uh, or uh, now even in their communication it's all fact based there is no tone you know there's no emotion when you hear their presentations you feel like actually today's robots and some of the text to voice uh, converters give better uh, audio than some of the human presentations that i hear uh, so as humans we are undermining ourselves the fact that we can bring intuition intelligence we can bring emotion that connect with people through our decision making to the way we do things if we compete with the robots they they are better at being robots than than we will ever be right Uh, right. so I, i think that's the that, that's a bigger problem so which which is also goes back to the the kind of skills and capabilities that i like to work on are all the the so called softer skills and by calling them soft skills i think the corporates and and everyone has undermined those skills as if they were the the optional things to do and as if the hard skills of knowing how to deal with data or how to do no planning and project management those are the necessary skills the problem is that those are the skills that can be easily replaced because they are the so called hard skills uh, they can be uh, they can be put into an algorithm much faster than the softer skills uh, so if we have to uh, in fact make a choice between which skills should humans be investing in not necessarily for the for the immediate three months or the next one year but if you are thinking about this bigger problem that in future do humans have a role to play is there is there job opportunities for them yes there will be job opportunities if they invest in the human skills right, right. which today are under
we need to play to our strengths yeah yeah, yeah. And, think, and at that time maybe you now i i i um, i read this interesting article uh, from uh, getting where but uh, it talked about maybe you now there will be very few jobs left 20 years later uh, but uh, because of the way the, econ- the economy has you know reshaped itself uh, people will earn enough to to enjoy you know life even those who don't have jobs or have very uh, you know they won't need to do jobs and they can enjoy life because everything will be done at a much lower cost by machines than today it is done so even your uh, low level of wealth could be enough to uh, to lead a much better life than than what you do today so yeah i'm not really worried about this ai versus human uh, as a as a bigger issue of you know, will the human race get uh, get ended by the robots or the you know will terminators take over right? i think the uh, the the thing is that if we want to be the people who are designing the future of of business if we are the ones who want to lead uh, organizations teams then we have to invest in the skills that make us those leaders right right yeah i think rory sutherland uh, you know who's uh, who's written books like alchemy and uh, who's the head of ogilvy in uh, uk i think uh, he makes this great point about businesses uh, just refusing to go with an emotional uh, you know the, the role of emotion is so neglected in decision making and when they're coming up with new ideas uh, he actually you know says that if you have run out of your standard uh you know go to ideas you should go with the most left of field uh, idea because there's a better chance of that uh, you know working for you yeah and and i would have hoped and i think that india indians as a uh, just as because of our culture and because of our uh, our exposure to a lot many languages and so many so many cultures even within our own country each of our cities each of our organizations is really uh, like a global mix of of people so our ability and this has been proven by many indian leaders and managers succeeding uh, at global levels and why is that because ability to deal with adversity you know, whether you call it jugaad or whether you call it uh, you know uh, uh, kind of quick innovation but this ability to deal with adversity and solve problems to to get ahead uh, dealing with a wide variety of of opinions uh, behaviors cultures languages that we grow up with almost as a default none of us uh, are surprised when we hear three different languages being spoken around us in a cafeteria that's that's part of how we grow maybe even in the same family you'll you'll find two or three languages being spoken within the family so that's so normal to us uh, and therefore i think we are actually in a better place to be able to deal with with these kind of issues i think we are uh, somewhat aping the you know that everything is a science approach to to dealing with problems that there is that there are better ways of dealing with problems which are which are human ways yeah yeah so what what do you think is missing in say our you know business schools and corporate environment from a learning point of view what is missing i think the uh, no professor goshal uh, late professor goshal he wrote this uh, one paper uh, which I, i read only recently just a few years ago but i think it's such a powerful paper where he 
uh, where he kind of uh, looks at management uh, as a as a space of education and and points out that uh, that the this whole trying to make it into a science uh, is one of the biggest issues uh, and therefore in pursuit of only value maximization from a profit perspective and measuring ourselves only through kpis that are extremely machine oriented versus forgetting about the the role of humans in decision making uh, the importance of values and culture in uh, in decision making ethics uh, i think has caused a lot of the problems that we have seen in the corporate world in the us many years ago and and many examples in india also where we have seen failure so but i i do believe indian organizations should be better placed to to deal with uh, you know with with this uh, management education i think is is clearly at fault i think the way the mba program which is the flagship program for all corporate uh, preparing people for corporate jobs and 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 leadership jobs i think the mba program was designed for a uh, for a for an industry industrial world which was extremely factory led which was extremely process and hierarchy led uh, industrial world uh, the very fact that that b schools are organized along functions uh, so you have strategy function marketing function operations function human resources function uh, actually mimic the siloed nature of of how organizations were 50 years ago today organizations want to move away from that and organizations are trying to to be more networked uh, they are trying to to bring a lot of agility into the way they do things they are breaking these silos but the mba program still tells you to specialize in hr and to specialize in marketing uh, or operations so i think the problem starts there i think the mba program uh, and Uh, it's a little bit of a controversial statement uh, it may because i i occasionally do teach sometimes in the mba programs uh, as a guest faculty and i i i know a lot of great people who teach in mba programs but i think the mba program needs to die before it can be redesigned whatever attempts have been made to to kind of tweak the mba program have been similar to how organizations have tried to tweak their structures to Uh, to bring innovation and agility and have failed because uh, structurally if you are siloed and hierarchical you will you will end up with a culture that's like that uh, so I, i think that's the first change and and it will then take a few generations of of new sets of managers uh, to to be produced from from such schools i think the mba program in in a way both, both because of the structure of the learning but also the very fact that it tries to teach the entirety of management capability in two years time is again flawed you have to learn these capabilities over the course of the subsequent 20 years or 30 years of your career nobody remembers what was taught in that mba program for two years way back when you were a kid so why is the mba program still at the beginning of one's career yes there are some exec programs where people do it again and again it's a one whole year it's not designed to to mimic the need for learning it is designed to be convenient that get everybody into a campus for 
you know for a year or two years and teach them everything that they they may ever need to learn and then send them out that's convenience that's not designed to to actually be uh, meaningful to individuals and to organizations so i i would say the, if i had to change one thing that that could change all of this i would i would say you know kill the mba program and and build it all afresh right yeah uh, in fact we use this term called full stack employees you know usually people who join startups you know the initial uh, group of people are people who will do everything uh, they and the founders are at a certain level but yeah. uh, again as these companies start growing then they start hiring for uh, you know different functions and then they start you know doing this uh, you know they have these complaints that oh these people are not uh, you know networking with the others and they are in their own groups and and all of that in fact somebody who worked in a startup once told me that there is there's this a class of citizens uh, who are working in a in a you know startup that has grown because the initial group of people are those who would do any, everything from operations to marketing to product to sales to facilities they are okay to do anything and uh, have delivered uh, and yeah. the next set of people are the ones you know organizations are trying to be more uh, formal and you know think uh, function wise see you know harish that's going to be the reality right uh, so um no in order to scale uh, organizations will need to get some degree of specialization some degree of delegation right no uh, accountability will have to be driven so a, a startup can't remain a startup forever right. uh, although in india many companies that were started 20 years ago are also still called startups i mean they are they are enterprises uh, as as big as any any other enterprise uh, employ from an employment revenue perspective they have to become enterprises that should be the goal of every startup to become an enterprise uh, that that can last uh, decades or uh, or a century if necessary uh, so that will require organizations to be restructured for for certain functional competencies to be uh, to be to be built and, and i but even if you think about the those full stack people right, the or the leaders if you just think about a leadership team in a uh, in any large enterprise is is like a full stack employee they they may have some direct responsibility for some function but they are ultimately leaders of that organization they should be able to do everything uh, at any time but there are only a few of those but you can build that mindset across many of them right and i think that shift if you want to make that there will be some full stack employees but there can be a full stack mindset in addition to the specialization so you have your specialization you do your day job but your mindset that you're building is to eventually become that full stack employee not everyone can become that full stack employee i think there's a there's a certain certain capability competency uh, that that is necessary for it if everybody could then and life would be very different so so i i i do believe that in fact therefore you really need people who can do some job and they're learning to do the next job and and building the 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 full stack mindset as they grow and maybe in 10 years everyone then becomes like a full stack employee at 10 12 whatever from when they get out of some college right i don't have an answer to uh, to what should be the the structure of this but i do believe that tinkering with what we currently have uh, is not yielding any of the the the, the change that we would like to see mm. and it's been too long i i, I think this is, 
at least since 2000 we know that this is the the reality of how businesses will work but i have not seen management education uh, structurally change much mm-hmm. and partly because it's regulated right? uh, regulations are used by incumbents to uh, to prevent change uh, right. and and the education system in india is and uh, not not just in india world over uses uh, uses regulation to prevent uh, to prevent challenges clayton christensen wrote about how education has been most resilient to disruption while it uh, it should technically have been disrupted long ago but it has proven highly resilient i'm talking about higher education university yeah. education he he in fact he has written a lot about uh, disruption and uh, the application of the uh, the disruption model to education and said it has failed there because no incumbents have used uh, you know their brand power of uh, of the past and their degree granting capability to prevent prevent challenges coming into the uh, into the into the space right right so in fact uh, since you mentioned uh, you know clayton christensen uh, what do you think is the job of these higher education you know institutes uh, right now and what should the job be in the job to be done uh, parlance of christensen yeah. so you know i i think of the need for education or the need for the, the education system uh, as um, just think about uh, let's start with the customer right with this individual forget the system i don't want to define the system based on the system let's look at the individual who is the customer of that system you know, the the person who gets into college uh, after the 12th standard why do people go to any of these colleges a majority majority of them are using it as a means to get an employment an appropriate employment that will pay them for the the investment that they are making the investment of their brain power and then the money that they are ready to invest into that education and they would like to get the maximum roi and therefore they choose the investment that so called gives the maximum roi that's why the mba that's why the medical you know the top iits are all people are rushing for them because and they are investing heavily into getting there through all the coaching and everything that they do because they seem to have the highest roi but the so you really think about it nobody goes to college because they want to learn the topic they people are investing it's like a buying a stock that that gives me the best roi so so if we if we first of all make the understanding that the people the, the the market for higher education is actually market for career building uh, and 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 getting them jobs then you start to rethink you say you know why do you need higher education it's not higher education it's actually placement it's a you you're building great placement schools so now you you can redesign the entire program itself to say what is it that will get you the best job okay what what should you learn so that you do you need to therefore spend 3 or 4 years or 5 years in doing this could you do this in 2 years perhaps and be ready for the job and start earning faster so i think that's the first lens i would use for a majority of people right there are a few who want to learn who want to who want to build knowledge right and they want to learn because they want to create knowledge so they don't want to just use the knowledge to get employment they want to actually build they are the researchers they would like to build new technology they would like to build new theories 
they would write to create art you no know, they want their creators okay? I, i think they obviously need the kind of higher education system that that we today are seemingly creating right? uh, the top universities in india are worldwide they probably make sense because those who go there I'm not saying those who go to the iits want to become the 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 you know the the creators of technology most of them don't but there will probably be some uh, who want to do that i think you need to create the higher education system for them separately that's a different system for those who want to learn teach build new knowledge now now take come back to this person who graduated from high school did some learning career oriented learning and started working now this person needs ongoing learning depending on the kind of careers they want to to build they probably would also i think it is useful to now think of a continuing university okay, which gives you access to a set of electives that you keep choosing uh, every year you have to finish five electives or four electives that you have to do in in a functional area maybe is this is the best time to teach them about things that they may not have learned philosophy perhaps as you grow a little older maybe you need to learn a little bit about psychology and philosophy even though your job is of a sales guy uh, but no if you don't understand psychology how do you understand you know uh, uh, thinking about a customer uh, if you want to you know, when we teach leadership there's a lot of work in leadership and organization behavior comes from psychology none of us have ever learned psychology but we are applying the outcomes of psychology into the work that we do as leaders maybe you need to be exposed to that so as you keep growing you get exposed to i think a, a wider range of topics uh, that that open your mind make you a little more uh, more as a human being uh, maybe arts i keep talking about how building creativity needs you to to experiment with arts if you don't do something in the arts space how will you you can't suddenly sit in a conference room and tell people come up with four creative ideas for our uh, for our product problem <laughs> you need to indulge their creativity through you know through other things like hobbies and arts so i i think that's the that's the education system for them those who are pursuing a career path need a certain type of ongoing learning i think that's that's how you you should design the future of education system but the problem is like all all change all change to the education system is incremental in nature we start with what we have currently and we think about can we change the syllabus a bit can we change four year program to five year program or three year to four year you know it's all incremental change no one's kind of saying you know just assume there's nothing exists if you had to redesign education all over again what would you do right that that is needed i believe yeah yeah <laughs> nice uh we'll get to the next quiz question shini sure so, uh, 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 so in in jainism yeah. what are these the five types of okay so kevala shrut mati avadhi and manopriya say them repeat the keval kevala shrut mati avadhi and manopriya and the word we are looking for shares its roots with the word no i i thought they were the senses uh, it uh, felt like the the, the five senses um, you know shruti sounds like hearing to me and mati uh, feels like uh, you know for mental uh, 
now hmm. knowledge right okay. so yeah maybe the senses or uh, looking for a word which is you know which is very closely associated with you knowledge uh, yeah. knowledge so give me the uh, word I, i wouldn't i mean jainism wouldn't use the word knowledge ha 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 okay gyan yes it is gyan <laughs> <laughs> so yeah nice in fact uh, you know the next question that i had was something which you referred to earlier uh, as well uh, so do you see individuals taking charge of their learning instead of waiting for the employer to do it uh, for them are they look seeking gyan are they looking at you know learning as a serious contributor to their growth in careers and they need to take charge of their careers is that something that you see is that it's something that's an exception not the norm it's it's an exception individuals don't uh, as a majority are not taking charge of learning they're not even taking charge of their careers uh, i think they're all uh, expecting that it is the responsibility of someone else um, the 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 only thing that individuals do take charge of is to get better certifications because so they if if uh, it goes back to the purpose of education right? purpose of education is to get a better certificate a more more recognized certificate whether that certificate really did it change my learning or not doesn't matter so much to me now potentially that certificate because someone else is willing to recognize it may at some point have had a meaning but today i think it is a pursuit of certification rather than the pursuit of learning mm-hmm. and uh, and in some ways if you just think about it organizations have, have always taken responsibility for learning you join your job you stop uh, you know your hr people send you to training programs your boss tells you here's what you need to learn so it's become a habit that that we somebody else uh, will do it for us why should i spend on it why should i take care and the issue with that and i think the danger with that is in some ways the the responsibility for oneself as a as a career as a, as who i am has been given away to the hr you know i need to get promoted my boss has to promote me it's the hr who is not promoting me so i'm it's easy to find excuses of why my career hasn't grown and therefore i will go quit my job and find uh, someone else who i believe may be willing to give it to me a lot of people crib about their bosses but if you just think about how much effort do they put into their careers and i'm not saying this just anecdotally i have uh, you know in the last 7 uh, years since i've been into this learning space Uh, corporate learning space i've met face to face and spoken with thousands of managers i i've met more people in, in this part of my career than than in my proper corporate career and not just met them i've been uh, people speak to me because they they i'm not a boss i'm not some someone they have to be scared of so i'm just a teacher i'm a mentor so so the people do open up and and speak a lot and i they there very few of them there are i am not denying there's probably maybe 5 to 10% and depending on the organization that percentage may may vary but uh, it's a it's a small percentage of people who actually reach out 
with with clarity on why they want to learn uh, what they want to do in terms of their career and for me the the reason i think is a danger is is this idea of this gig economy now if in the gig economy you are responsible for your career no one's going to give you business you want to be a freelancer you have to be responsible but the issue is that not just you quit your job and become a freelancer i think many corporates are going to start employing the principles of the gig economy into the way they think about their organization structure if organize if companies move into more networked organizations hybrid teams as a structure rather than hierarchical and and functional jobs there will be a need for people to be multifunctional in nature there'll be a need for people to move from one project to another and, and therefore sell themselves as a product as a talent available to be chosen for a the next big project here's the funny thing imagine you are a product in the employment market in the talent market each of us as an employee or an individual is a product selling our time to the employer and who invests in the product development customer you are telling the customer you are responsible for my improvement my product will improve only because you train me and by the way you pay me extra every year you have to give me an increment you train me and then you give me more because you have trained me can you see the uh, i mean if if in a in a in a normal sales and marketing sense you would laugh at this and say you know this is like a company saying oh my soap is is this by the way you please invest in my r&d to make the soap better and then next year i'll increase the price of the soap that's not how it works so if we have to start thinking of of ourselves as individuals as being part of the talent market then we have to to shine in that market and yeah. and i don't think individuals are investing uh, sufficiently in that's yeah. yeah you know you mentioned the gig economy uh, i think that's a great uh, you know uh, factor that is going to have a big, very big role to play because organizations are now uh, waking up uh, to the fact that you know they can hire these freelancers for you know these project stints you know this hollywood kind of ensemble cast uh, you know for a particular project they're uh, fine with it and you know they don't need to really uh, own an employee's uh, time 8 hours 9 hours in a day as long as they are getting the uh, outputs so organizations are um, waking up to that and uh, you know getting wiser about that uh, but probably employees are still not uh, you know understanding the threat of things like gig economy how it is going to have a, a you know direct uh, impact on on their career so do you see any other such threats which are you know in and around which are going to have a similar effect like what you mentioned about you know gig economy when if you just take the gig economy because what has been now happening in in the corona times of remote working okay. uh, see earlier this full time employment had this whole sense of you no know, people come to an office sit there from morning to evening or there's a, no that you needed that employee to be in front of you you manage the work based on their presence at at the office we've been forced to to change that even the the, the organizations that were completely not uh, familiar with remote working and tech have had to figure out 
how to manage teams remotely how to manage based on output rather than presence because you don't know you're not you're not putting a camera although some companies i think did it but you're not putting a camera on and seeing what this individual is doing all day you're just saying i need this output this is what you're supposed to do get it done for me the moment measurement of work moves to output rather than time spent at the office you are in a gig economy yeah because the gig economy is really about output based pricing rather than time based you know you're not selling time you're you're selling an output that's what the gig economy is selling the second thing this danger is you don't have to be in the same city or in the same country as the office used to be earlier your presence in that city okay gave you an advantage your competitive advantage was that you could show up to the office someone sitting in a smaller town had to migrate and bear the investment of the higher cost of living there and the risk of living there uh, to to participate in that in that job market so the job market had its own limitations today in a remote virtual work environment space you are competing with with everyone who has similar capabilities and can deliver the same outcome from wherever they are I, you know i was talking to a uh, a small business uh, uh, is into digital marketing and so on so just chatting uh, he is based in indore uh, and we were chatting about he said you know i have small team and i'm expanding i'm hiring a few people and you know, because i was think talking about doing some work with him i said oh, okay where are your people are they all in indore you know uh, along with you so no couple of them are here and then two three others were in um, i think other parts of mp i said two of them are in uh, vietnam mm-hmm. i was like he oh okay maybe there i thought that some specialist is just outsourcing some work to to them i said are they on contract or do you just outsource excess work to them i said no they are my employees it's just that they are in vietnam i was like oh no if a small small business can realize that he is getting a better deal uh, of employing people in vietnam for work that that sh- could have been done by indians it's it was not some you know some high tech stuff that had to be outsourced there for him the the whole equation worked out and, and but it it opened eyes to the fact that your competition for for jobs is not going to be limited to to the physical geographies in which jobs were being created in the past yeah. i think these two things measurement by outcome and remote delivery of work changes the complete the competitive market of talent is is going to be reshaped mm. in, in the next 2 3 years right right yeah yeah so so you know how should people be thinking about their learning you know should they set something like a goals for the year how do they identify blind spots uh, because that's something where the lnd actually comes in where you know they are like the third party who will say this is what you need to build uh, but if a, if an individual is trying to take charge of their uh, learning how how should they go about it and you can still get feedback and an evaluation from from your boss from your lnd from your customer if you are if you are a freelancer i i think the first thing is that you have to seek that feedback you have to want to know what i am not so good at i wrote this article um, a few weeks ago uh, about uh, you need a slap 
uh, in the face uh, the, the part of i think the the corporate culture has been that we uh, have stopped identifying uh, weaknesses and gaps about 20 years ago i think the this term opportunity for improvement came up so we started soft pedaling on on weaknesses uh, as a as something to to just kind of say obviously you have some strengths you have weaknesses it's okay it's fine now we you know, we wanted to be uh, very nice and you don't want to uh, hurt people so we said uh, opportunities for improvement and the, the the problem is that the recipient says oh now that is opportunity for improvement i can see a lot of strengths but no weakness so it's very good i am so i, I think the the flip side of all this is that over the years people have stopped uh, getting true feedback about where they lack what the gaps are what they need to do to to to, to get better and this is where one you have to seek feedback you have to have the openness and the uh, the humility in a way to want to know what do i need, need to learn uh, and so the best way is to get it from your mentors your bosses people who uh, who have grown not necessarily one person but get it from a few people uh, who who can take different perspectives and give you that feedback i think it is important that you have to seek that that feedback uh, and not wait for anyone i think there is a gap there is a market opportunity in a sense for uh, for uh, for truly objective evaluation of capabilities which people actually Uh, pay for to know what they are good at and what they aren't good at there isn't uh, there isn't any way today that you can get some uh, reasonably good uh, feedback uh, there are there are very non scalable systems that are used by corporates including appraisals and assessment centers and all calls uh, types of you know psychometric tests etc but each of them are uh, fragmented in nature and in general non scalable Uh, they don't give a comprehensive view of uh, you know how good a person is vis-a-vis their current job vis-a-vis their aspirations of where they want to be i think that's a that's an opportunity in a way, in a way. so I, i would i would say somebody should or somebody will build that that system to uh, to, to help individuals but till then i think the best way is to do is to get feedback yeah if you have the capacity some some do uh, to do a lot of self assessment introspection i, I think that uh, that that obviously work the third is i you know i would say don't go don't try to fill some weakness or know what your weakness what your learning agenda is keep learning you know uh, say i want to spend so many hours learning whatever learning opportunities i get in whichever area just do it you i think that's a great first step because when you start learning you you get evaluated because you get benchmark you you see other learners you get to you get to get get a feel for oh you know this topic i seem to be pretty good uh, okay great i i stop my learning there and move on to something else but you have to just start learning so i i would say don't try to create some agenda the only goal you should do is how many hours uh, of time do i invest in learning and make sure that that learning is in fact a little uh, diverse so that would be my uh, recommendation just set a goal for learning for a year for a month for a quarter uh, and try and do as much uh, 
eclectic learning as possible uh, rather than being very focused on learning goals uh, just say i learn pick go to coursera you know pick up two courses and just do them it doesn't matter that they have to have any connection to to what you want to do just because as you learn you will discover that this this seems to interest me or not and then you can decide uh, many of these are free so you don't even have to invest much other uh, your time is actually your bigger investment not the money although i have found people have invested this people are ready to spend time but not the money <laughs> whereas the more valuable thing for them is is the time right. money is trivial yeah. given what they earn and given the earning potential of learning uh, so i see a lot of people randomly joining uh, sessions that may not have any meaning uh, but they'll just join those because it's free and someone charges something no i don't want to join that even though that may be a better investment of of the 2 hours that you're taking or right. the so i think that's yeah. my my suggestion and 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 what all would you consider under those learning opportunities so courses is one thing what else do you uh, recommend that people can pick up uh, easily uh, yeah. as as a way of learning so i uh, i i talk about the learning that comes obviously from formal learning like taking a course taking you know attending a program a webinar physical whatever the the second learning happens through reading right through someone else's experiences uh, which is a bit like a formal learning but it doesn't have to be more so systematic as a formal learning program which means keep reading about things uh, again eclectic diverse set of reading uh, because in a way each time you're reading your mind is being provoked to think about it and and see how you can apply it to your situation but i would say the best form of learning is to do things so take on projects that that are not part of your job and those projects may not be your workplace uh, some special project it could just be uh, you know think of an idea and say uh, can i can i build something do some projects of your kids do projects with them think of uh, oh diwali is coming can i create some you know some activity and sell in my building complex a product try to force yourself to do things that that are not normal they may be crazy and in fact very likely those crazy ideas won't come to you so most likely the crazy ideas will come to kids so that's why i said you know often uh, join a kid who is trying to do something crazy great learning opportunity um hobbies are a great learning opportunity because they get you to to learn new skills but equally if particularly if they're team or people related sports or something you get to meet people so i do recommend investing in time in doing hobbies which are the doing types where you do stuff finally uh, i i i think there is a the, just just through observation i go to a mall uh, i don't just be at least for some time i'm just looking around looking at the shops and thinking about what is happening so bring a little bit of that inquisitiveness is is a great form of learning because you are now learning on your own you are trying to create a problem for yourself you are trying to find the data for yourself so go to the mall and say okay can i estimate 
what is the percentage decline in number of shoppers from before corona and now try and solve that problem just by spending an hour in the mall how will you where will you get the data who will you ask can you get some you know anecdote plus some some sample data to help you solve that problem so i think it's a, a you you need to have that 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 bent of mind or you need to create that bent of mind but create problems or projects for yourself that you can then go and solve that's the best way to learn because there's no better way to learn than when you you challenge yourself and create the whole learning process for yourself yeah i think the, the big message for me is get out of your comfort zone is yeah okay no. <laughs> yes, i don't do the don't do more of what you you're great at correct <laughs> because there's there's a limit to how much more you can improve there right i'm not stopping there's probably a lot of improvement possibility there but don't invest all your time there right give enough time to things that are not normal not usual for you yeah this is the ctq smartcast where we have conversations about up leveling deliberate practice and getting future relevant all right uh, well welcome back uh, shrini so uh, before the break you were talking about uh, you know coaching and mentoring so that was a question that i wanted to ask you anyway so how should people go about uh, seeking coaches and mentors and these are not the you know mentors and coaches that an organization uh, you know gets for you after you reach a certain uh, level but uh, anyone like you said is always looking for coaching and mentors should be looking for them by default it i think happens to be the boss uh, in in most cases yeah. uh, even with a boss how do you get more out of a boss from a coaching perspective and if not from the boss if you need someone else how do you how should one go about that so you no know, one the boss is often could be the best mentor uh, and a coach for any individual that that's how it it ought to be but the the reality is that most boss, bosses are not good mentors um, themselves either because they don't have the time for it or they don't have the capacity for it and many aren't being a good mentor or a good coach is not for everyone just like being a good sales person is not for everyone it's a it's a capability Uh, but it's assumed that just because you're a manager and you have some people to manage you are you also can do mentoring and coaching it's not it's it is something that that is a special skill yes everybody can build some of it but if you're really looking for the best in class then you have to go to the best in class so i think on an ongoing basis yes your boss should be your first place you're learning from but there's a limitation to what you can learn from your boss i think the the if you want to get mentored or coach first you you have to want it i think there is a that that explicit thought has to come to your mind that i need somebody to to teach me i think the biggest problem that most people have is that they don't want they don't believe that somebody else can teach them anything they're all they're always thinking actually i should be in my boss's shoes just the office politics that has kept me here no unless you are willing to accept that i need to do something about where i am you will not seek mentoring and coaching so i think that that's why a lot of people don't actually seek mentoring and coaching because they don't they don't believe that that something is missing in their own 
capability that they need to that they need to invest in. So apart from your boss and any other mentors that that most corporates give, and most corporate mentoring programs fail. There are very few success stories of uh, mentoring programs that have worked within the corporate world. So, I think individuals who are looking for mentoring, good quality mentoring, have to seek it themselves, and therefore they may have to pay for it if necessary. Because if you are if you are going to push the the envelope on how much you want from that mentoring, then you have to you have to seek professional help and pay for it. So, if you want to be mentored by someone. there are a lot of people who who are capable of and would be interested in providing mentoring and i've uh, i've seen that happening when people have reached out to me so uh, sometimes people reach out to me on linkedin uh, or through any other network and then they connect with me and say no i would like to be mentored by you and the the funny thing is most of them will ask that and i i'll ask them a few questions and i'll say you know happy to uh, to have a conversation and here's what and most of the time they don't get back <laughs> and you know so i mean i'm not i'm not asking them question about how much are you ready to pay me or anything like that it's usually you know what do you want to do with your life where, where what is the point of this what do you want to you know, what do you want to gain out of this most of them don't don't follow up so then i i feel that they're just paying lip service someone must have told them that you need a mentor so they kind of approach and then uh, then they don't have the time for it right they believe they're too busy for it so they forget that a mentor may be even busier and so so in a way if you don't want to invest the time then the mentor whoever that is will not invest so i do think that if you want mentoring you have to want it and you have to invest that the time first uh, your energy then it may lead to money as the next step later but, but most mentors most uh, most uh, mid to senior level managers and entrepreneurs if you reach out to them well you know with the with the right communication i think many of them uh, would be ready to offer mentor the third thing i'd like to say on this is that uh, you don't need to have one mentor in life uh, you can have many mentors uh, and you can learn from different people in fact if you have the capability to attract many mentors many people who are invested in you who feel that you are worth their time because most of the time what they charge you anyone even if they charged professionally will never be worth what they could do with that time because for mentoring no, i i'm i'm not come across too many people who charge at all or even if they charge they charge the opportunity cost of their time the reason why most people agree to do mentoring is because they actually feel invested in the mentee they feel uh, that this person has the potential uh, uh, for for certain growth or opportunity and therefore uh, want to play a role in making that happen that's the that's the true mentor <laughs> uh, and uh, and i don't see enough people uh, making use of that opportunity many times your your teachers could be your your former teachers could be your mentors my uh, you know my prof uh, at ima when i got into this education space and and quit and joined i was not in touch with him for a long time but one of my profs i knew he was uh, he was around and he was also doing consulting and coaching i reached out to him uh, and asked him for help and and had some conversations with him today he is my biggest source of of learning knowledge constantly advising 
yes there is some you know some stuff we do commercially together but that's there's almost trivial to the uh, to the time that he spends the energy he spends in in what what i am doing or my organization is doing i think that there's a lot of examples like that so your profs your teachers many times they just want to feel they, they i think the greatest joy for a mentor or a teacher is when the person you have coached uh, excels and and does great things so that's the, that's the energy that you have to be able to tap into which right. means that you have to energize them with your ideas you have to take the lead you know by by asking them good questions by pushing them to think about that your worth them them kind of stretching their brains or their networks you know to get you solutions but you have to excite them right right yeah and, and i'm i'm uh, you know thinking that when you're saying this uh, everyone should also be open to mentoring others you know sort of as a as a way of giving it back because you have uh, benefited from you know formal or informal coaching and mentoring yeah yeah uh, and and in that sense everyone can be a mentor right so everyone has some capability you may not uh, be able to to make that a career or you can't may not make that a, a big part of your life but but i'm sure everybody uh, has certain knowledge uh, connections right. perspectives just their experience that they can they can give back uh, and, and this is one thing that i think managers because we we are not taught how to learn uh, properly in our school and college days we therefore don't know how to teach most people don't know how to teach uh, the because the essence of of teaching or helping someone else to learn uh, through mentoring or training whichever mode it may be uh, is not to just share experiences okay? see our real best learning is not what we have learnt in books uh, you know because what you have learnt in the book someone else can read the same book and learn um, so that's why most teachers who are teaching from the textbooks are of no use they are just uh, they are almost like uh, facilitators they are they are the uh, they they play a role i am not denying that but uh, they are not really helping learning to happen they are just passing on knowledge from someone else to some, uh, to the other person but real learning happens when you are able to draw from your own experiences and and create new learning right? and, uh, and something that others can emulate others can use to build on the the issue is that most of the time many managers who who look back at their experiences only do experience sharing they are unable to convert those experiences into into learnings that can be that can be replicated your experience when you share that story with me cannot be used by me because i will not be faced i will not face the the same circumstances and the same situation that you did you told me what you did when something happened i don't learn from it i get interested that's why a lot of a uh, lot of learning uh, so called learning videos by leaders uh, so you have these leaders speak videos they are not really learning videos they are storytelling videos they they can inspire you a bit they can make you think a bit for a while but usually that doesn't last long you you feel very inspired energized positive when you're watching those videos but
very soon after it has no no effect on on what you do because most of them have just told their stories right the few of them who are good will not only tell you a story but will convert that story into what i call an algorithm or a framework okay? uh, the problem is that most leaders have this uh, grina uh, against uh, theory you know? uh, they feel that you no know, it's all my own learning therefore this idea of theory you know, is something they just uh, dismiss but you, there's a reason why theories exist and particularly in management they're not even theories they're not like science theories they're algorithms there no a b c happened no then uh, x is the most likely option to to pursue if a b and c are there right. but if a b and d are there then do no why that's a framework right? that's a, that, and that comes from me having tried a b c d many times failed at it i have figured out that no in this situation x seems to work and in this situation y seems to work but if i just tell the story of when x work or when y work without sharing this framework the the listener can't do anything with it the listener needs to be given that framework so that when they see a b and c happening they can connect it and say oh no now a b and c are happening let me try x right that is the power of of being able to create theory or create framework and that's where it becomes from experience sharing to creation of learning and that's the capability that a lot of managers don't have right which is why they can't be good mentors <laughs> because they can only tell you so they will so they'll tell you acha tell me what happened i i'll tell you the answer correct they'll tell you what to do <laughs> but they can't help you think what to do Right. they can guide you to the answer by giving you a framework and yeah. if they give you a framework you can use it again and again you don't have to come back to the mentor the mentor also has therefore the confidence and the courage to not be wanted again make themselves redundant as time goes by that is the purpose of a good teacher right. to make yourself redundant bosses don't want to make themselves redundant they want to keep their jobs no so so the, the traditional boss the traditional manager actually doesn't want to become redundant that is why learning doesn't happen in organizations correct correct yeah and and uh, you know how do you uh, think organizations and now in say in the case of you know coaching and mentoring individuals uh how should they be thinking about the so called return on investment on learning should they even be thinking you know is that a metric that people should even consider yeah i mean uh, so this roi on learning uh, or roi on corporate training in a way uh, in a few years ago uh, became a big thing in the corporate world in the lnd everybody started measuring again you no know, trying to convert management into a science Uh, so we want everything to be measurable all this smart no there are there are places where it makes sense and there are places it doesn't make sense the learning is one of those things um, so if you want to uh, if you want to take learning through an roi lens that's when you get certification that's when you get if i spend so much to go to a coaching class over there the chances of me getting a seat in the iit increase to so much and you know i am doing a, a probability analysis and doing a trade off analysis that's the roi mindset of of learning you're not learning i think a, a learning mindset says i want to invest 
or I can invest so much time from amongst all the pool of time that I have. The biggest resource we have is time. So investment is, is less about the money in my, in my view when it comes to learning. It's about the time. Uh, because if you put an opportunity cost to your time, the what they charge you per hour of learning will be very small compared to the opportunity cost of your time. Right? And therefore, if even if you have to pay for that hour of learning to a third party to teach you, that's, that's trivial. Because you'd rather not spend that hour uh, than worry about, you know, should I pay X for that training program for that hour? Right? So, uh, so the investment is fine. Uh, and the only way to think about it is, this is an investment that I'm going to make because I can make this investment. Right. Uh, the a lot of time the effect of it is is felt only through hindsight. It's a bit like, uh, and I think this is where what Steve Jobs said at that famous commencement uh, address that right. sometimes the investment that you make in in experiences in in learning uh, you can't look ahead and and plan it out. You can only look back and connect the dots and say that is why this I was able to do this. He gives the example of the ability to create beautiful fonts on the on the Mac uh, platform because he took calligraphy courses while it had nothing when he had dropped out of college and he was doing these courses. So one could say, oh, what, what, what were you doing? Why were you wasting your time doing calligraphy? You were interested in computers and you know, all that stuff, right? Uh, why calligraphy? But that he realized much later the impact it had on the way he was thinking and the way he thought about design. So. That's exactly how we should think about uh, learning. Now, right. organizations, I can understand when companies have to, to do some degree of measurement on learning, uh, I can understand that because ultimately there's a limit. For them, time says money is, the, is a bigger resource for them. So they're always thinking about the money that they're investing in learning and whether there is it's working or not. So I do think that corporates should do some degree of ROI measurement, um, but the measurement is not, did people, uh, were people happy at the end of the training program? No? That's a very poor quality of measurement. Um, or even did people learn by doing a, you know, like a quiz at the end of the program? It will tell you something, but it won't tell you much because you, uh, it will just take, I think, five days for them to forget what they uh, what they learned in that uh, in, in that training program. So, uh, I think I heard a, a very good example of uh, of a good measurement for for learning uh, is how many of my uh, promotions or need for higher level employee employee role filling am I doing with internal employees? So right. am I filling all my growth, the roles that are opening up for growth, senior roles, growth roles, am I having to hire from outside or am I hiring from inside? Yeah. Saying if we, that is the metric to, to work on. And learning is just one input towards that. There are other, other inputs also. Hmm. But if the focus is that outcome, and as long as that outcome is improving, I continue to invest in these things. So I think that's a good metric. Similarly, as long as your career is growing faster than maybe a benchmark, you can 
You know, that's one way. If you have, if you are the measuring type and you must measure, you know, pick up one of your classmates who you think is a, you know, is a benchmark to you, and then measure, you know, how you are doing in career. But the problem is that again, as Clayton Christensen wrote in his great book, uh, that's a very stupid way of measuring your life. Right. <laughs> <laughs> how much salary am I getting vis-a-vis -vis, uh, my batchmate? So how will you measure your life is, uh, I would say, uh, that, uh, by Christensen is, uh, is a kind of book that, that will change people's uh, views about careers and life. So right. it's a must read, but also it's a little dangerous because it'll, it'll, it's the book that I read which caused me to quit my job. So, <laughs> <laughs> so any, any uh, you know, uh, specific book recommendations that you would make, uh, you know, which people should use for... Not thinking about career, life, future relevance. I, I know my view about books is whichever book is available in front of you or whichever you can get hold of, read it. Okay. Um, uh, I I don't uh, I don't kind of I have some uh, books that I like to read or I have read, uh, but my perspective on this is that uh, read as much as you can, uh, read quickly. Uh, now read just the initial parts first, see if it makes sense, then read more. Otherwise, dump it also. Right. Don't. Uh, well, again, my time is worth more than the the money I spent in buying that book. Okay. Right. So if I find that after a couple of chapters that this book is not giving me anything more, I will just leave it. Now, my Kindle is filled with uh, with lots of books that I haven't completed, even though I've paid for those books uh, because. I may read them later if if I feel that my time, you know, there's, I have too much time and nothing else to do. I may browse through some of those books. I even then I'd rather go back and reread a great book than you know read a book that's not giving me anything new. And most management books, this is a secret I have learned, uh, uh, and I don't know why they do it, but I guess that's how it's structured. Most good management books uh, actually summarize the entirety of the learning in the first one or two or three chapters. Uh, the rest of it is expanding that concept or those frameworks into detail. Right. So I usually learn the concept or pick up the essence of it by reading the, the first 20, 30 pages. Uh, and then, then I need to apply it. When I find myself needing to actually get into the detail of that idea, then I go back and read through the, the detail because that's when I can connect the the, the examples of the detail with what I want to do because I, otherwise reading through that will be just interesting stories. It's of no use to me. So that's my approach to reading it. The other way I deal with books is uh, again, very good books, most good, uh, again, management books. When they write the books, they usually create one article, which is a summary. If they're great books that are published in HBR, uh, you know, in HBR, an article version will appear before the book is launched. Uh, or in any other such journal or a magazine, you'll find an article version of the book. Usually the article version of the book, about 15, 20 pages, gives you, again, the essence of what the book says. So I'd rather read the 15, 20 pages article version and then get back to the book if I need to go deep into that topic. Correct. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I always keep saying time is the only non-renewable resource. <laughs> money is a fully renewable resource. Money, yeah, money. That's why I'm saying, you know, the sunk cost mindset you should have. 
time there is no sunk i mean time is perishable money is a sunk cost you bought that book gaya you know that money is gone now do i spend you now 15 more minutes 30 more minutes going through it or not is the decision to take not can i recover my money which i you know spent on that book right yeah yeah okay so the last quiz question that we have uh, you know and and this is uh, about something so what was launched in india on 15th august 1995 and cost 25 rupees 25000 rupees a month <laughs> for corporate clients and 15000 a month for individuals and you know this has got a very close connection with you <laughs> yeah, thank goodness at least this one i can i can answer without you know hints and without you know kind of floating around the answer a bit uh, so it's the uh, internet uh, which was launched by bsnl the dial up internet uh, was launched in 95 of course i joined uh, the company or i got associated with bsnl in 2002 when the tata group um, acquired stake in the company and then i worked there uh, but uh, you know it was uh, such an interesting thing when we had uh, the silver jubilee of that happened and um, many of the people who were originally involved in that project uh, and still work many of them still work in tatacom good some of them good friends of mine Uh, they they actually wrote some very interesting articles about how this thing happened and uh, all the uh, kind of the the jugaad the fight to make it happen uh, and, and some really interesting stories and they had a, a group photo of those people now so yeah some beautiful memories of uh, you know of, of that and of course later then i saw i've seen and worked on the the creation of those thick fat submarine cables that that now carry you know millions of times more data than than uh, than we used to get in those times right yeah yeah all right so that brings us to the last section uh, you know where we talk about future relevance so i'll give you some things you know terms and you know it's almost like a rapid fire round uh, so i just want you to comment on what do you think is going to be the future relevance of Uh, so the first thing is mid level managers for corporates uh, they play an important role in translating strategy into into execution uh, they are extremely relevant they don't often play the play the role they ought to and that's the biggest challenge that corporates face but there's there's a huge uh, role that they can play they can be the 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 kind of the glue Uh, that that holds the, the the strategic thought to the day to day action the translation of strategic thought to day to day action must happen through mid level managers uh, doesn't always happen but they 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 could be very relevant okay okay not again depends on the organization uh, and the structure right. if you move to flat organization structures and network organization structures the concept of mid management disappears so if we are still in the the more traditional hierarchy driven structures like we currently are and i don't see next 5 10 years it disappearing totally in those organizations mid managers will play okay okay corporate lnd functions i i think they they ought to and they will become like the it functions of many many businesses they they are responsible for policy and integrating the the function with strategy 
but outsource the entire development and delivery to to specialists uh, so just like today and and corporate it department doesn't develop the the infrastructure doesn't maintain the infrastructure doesn't build the code and everything that's all outsourced to strategic partners or or the cloud right? so i think that's what will happen to lnd so lnd role will become uh, planning connecting it to strategy gap analysis uh, and, and then and then certifying right? and then qualifying the the programs that's the role that lnd will have okay uh, what about decision making in the age of ai extremely important uh, i think what we spoke earlier human decision making is still necessary the there's so many examples of of serendipity there's so many examples of of uh, being able to look at a customer behavior and and identify things that any amount of data analysis couldn't ever talk about customer behavior and that to anticipated customer behavior so uh, decision making for routine stuff that is very well known can move to ai but all strategic decision making particularly those related to uh, customers and markets customer competition uh, markets and and also people uh, will have to be done by people all right and and last one which we did talk about earlier uh, mbas or b schools have to uh, i i think uh, a bit like uh, you know they need to perish before they uh, they they come alive again that's my view I, but unfortunately this view has been spoken about for the last 20 years uh, it hasn't happened so uh, that disruption force which has hit many industries has not hit the mba uh, school for instance yet although you know let's see in the next one or two years uh, what 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 we see because with education itself taking taking new uh, new turn in the us let's see what happens a lot of uh, colleges have been under pressure for a while but they used to i think get subsidized by international uh, students quite a bit um, with that reducing in general the international students generally reducing uh, as a source of uh, earning for uh, colleges so maybe some of these programs will see a decline now i'm not saying all b schools are bad there are some i think which are which are experimenting on the edge the problem is that by calling themselves b schools and calling it an mba program they are confined by the by the the product definition right so a bit like nano failed because it called itself a car if nano was not a car it could have been a successful product but you define yourself through some other products products uh, setup you you fail right. even if you want to be disruptive uh, so i think that that's the problem that anyone else trying to build an mba program with a difference still has to be within the boundaries of the mba program that is defined by regulation and that's defined by the incumbent competitors right so, so that's good. yeah I think that was uh, the last question that I had, Chini. Fantastic! I had uh, you know a lot of gyan to pick up uh, from you, and I think I did a good job of it. Uh, yeah. Thanks, thanks for coming uh, on to this. Uh, had a great time. Thanks, thanks, Arish, for uh, this conversation. As I said, uh, you know, usually when good questions are posed to you, uh, 
and you're you're kind of provoked to think and 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 share. That's that's when I enjoyed the most, and this was a stimulating conversation. So, yeah. thank, thank you. you. If you want to get into the habit of reading or explore diverse topics that you wouldn't have read otherwise, CTQ Compounds is for you. Compounds are expertly curated by us and are a great way to slip in 15 minutes of reading non-fiction every day. The Future Stack Compound is perfect for anyone with their eye on the future. It gives you a regular dose of relevant info to keep you current and relevant in the future to come. For how you can be a part of a compound, go to ctqcompounds.com. You can also see what our compound members have to say about their experience there. That's ctqcompounds.com. This is the CTQ Smartcast, where we have conversations about up-leveling, deliberate practice, and getting future relevant.